I'm going to share some things with you about missions, kind of the purpose of missions. And, you know, I mean, because sometimes we can have the mentality of, well, you know, we should take care of our own backyard and they should take care of their own backyard. And uh, and while I believe that's true, because I don't believe that we should only do world missions, I believe we ought to do something in our own backyard as well. Um, but you also have to realize that you sitting in this room right now, doesn't matter what you make, whatever you make, you're part of the 4% richest people in the world. Uh, if you live in America, it doesn't matter. I mean, our poverty level is still top 4% in the world. And, uh, you know, uh, most of the world's population lives on less than a dollar a day. Um, you know, as far as that's what it takes for them to live. And, uh, you know, and there's billions of people that that encompasses. And uh, so I just want to share with you about um, really... Uh, kind of my heart behind this, but even more importantly, I believe it's the heart of God. Um, you know, because as a church, and I, I'm going to share, I'm going to recap a few things here as we go over the last couple of weeks, just so that we're all on the same page. I told you some of this, you, you would start hearing more and more. And uh, so you're going to hear some more of it today. But if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter uh, 28. Matthew 28. John, I don't think I gave you all these scriptures, by the way. I think I gave you verse 16, and we're going to read to about verse 20. So, um, but, uh, I'll tell you what, let's just pick up in verse 18. Yeah. See, we got a brand new software back there, and I'm just throwing like right off the bat. Just Here you go, John, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Verse 18, we'll see how quick he is. <laughs> Trial by fire, right? Trial by fire. Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples. He says, I have given you all authority in heaven and in earth. Now, this has nothing to do with my message, but it's still good. You need to recognize that verse. Jesus has done everything for you that he can. Now he's given you authority. So, let me say it another way. It's not Jesus' responsibility to come and fix all of your problems. It is our responsibility to stand in what he has done for us. He's given us authority. So that's a totally different subject, but we're going to keep rolling. You say praise the Lord because you should. But it says, I've given you all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, so because you have authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am always, or I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now it's important here in verse 19, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of how many nations? Did he say your nation? Did he say it? It says all nations, right? Which that, you know, we would call this the Great Commission, right? That's what we entitle this bit right here. We call it the Great Commission. In other words, God it really through Jesus is saying, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take responsibility for the world that you live in. Not just the nation that you're a part of. Because as far as I know, all of us in this room are Americans, but how many of you know that we have a different citizenship that supersedes that in, the, in which the land that we were born? Amen. We are citizens of heaven. And God is a global God. He is not just a local God. He, we're not to just be uh, consumed with what we have. And he gives us instructions. He says, go and make disciples in all nations. Let me just ask, how many of you have ever been to a foreign country? A handful. So that would ask the question, how do we go and make disciples of all nations if a handful of us have gone? Right? I mean, it's just a legitimate question. And yet Jesus, and yet clearly the Great Commission is this. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Mark's uh, translation of this or account of this, he said it this way. It's in Mark chapter 16 verse 15. He says, Jesus speaking says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. He says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to, be, to believe will be condemned. And it says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, which that's not physical snakes in case you're wondering. Uh, that's actually talking about demonic powers and abilities. 
And it says, but they, so in other words, what it's really accurately translated is they would be able to overcome the devil with safety. And it says, and if they drink anything poisonous, it will not hurt them. It says they will place their hands upon the sick and they will be healed. So that's the command for us as the church, is that we're to go into all the world for what purpose? To make disciples, to see people who are lost, who are separated from God, come to the knowledge of God, but not just to see them born and leave them as babies. We actually have a responsibility to disciple them, which is, means walk alongside of them and help them grow. You know, and so we have this charge from, from heaven, and, it may be, and you may have zero desire to ever go to a foreign country. And that's okay. You don't have to go. But what we do have a responsibility for is to understand our responsibility in the Great Commission. And part of our call and part of our command from our Savior, from your Savior, is this. Go and make disciples. Well, we may not all individually go, but we do all have to individually take responsibility that it is happening. It's not somebody else's job. No more than it's somebody else's job to witness to your neighbor than yours. It's not my responsibility because I'm the pastor of your church to come and evangelize your neighborhood. God placed you there to touch your neighborhood. You can think of it this way. Your neighborhood is your little mission field. The job that you have, that's your mission field. And God may use you in that place to touch people so that what? They can come to the saving knowledge of Christ. They can come to understand the grace of God. I don't believe that we are anywhere by mistake. I believe it's by God's design. But that's not the limits of my mission field. It's not the limits of your mission field. I'm not just reserved to this one spot, this one place. I have a much greater responsibility. And so do you. Why? Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't, the Bible says, uh, well, we'll get there in a few minutes. Let me give you a statement real quick. Is this, the supreme task of the church is the evangelization of the world. The supreme task, the ultimate. Why? Because guess how many of you are one day looking forward to going to be with Jesus? How many of you realize that Jesus is not coming back until every ear has heard? God is not waiting, or let me say this, we're not waiting on God for the return of Christ. He is waiting on us. Why? Because he says, I will not come back until every ear has heard the gospel. Now let me give you some, um, let me give you, I'm going to ask a question and then I'm going to give you some information about it. And it's this, is why is global missions important? Like, well, we live in south central Arkansas. Why do I care about what's happening in China or in Russia or, you know, in South America or wherever the case may be? That doesn't bother. It doesn't affect me. It's not part of what I have. And really my life. And I have no understanding. It's because it's God's agenda. It's God's desire. And so I want to give you some statistics real quick. Now these are a little bit dated, but I know they're reliable. So the numbers are actually larger than this at this point. But um, So in the world today, there are 7.3 billion people on the planet. How many of you know the population of America? To put that in perspective. Anybody? 309 million people live in America. So you realize how small we are in comparison to the population of the world. Jesus did not die for the United States of America. He died for mankind. So we have 7.3 billion people. Of those 7.3, 2.3 billion are Christians. 748 million are us, evangelical Christians. There are 1.7 billion Muslims, 1.1 billion Hindus, 979 million are non-religious. That means they identify with no religion. So nearly a billion people. 488 million are Buddhists, predominantly in India, in that region of the world. Predominantly, not all. Uh, 671 million are of ethnic religions. In other words, it's specific to their region. You know, like I remember when we went to Africa years ago, uh, there were like 40,000 different languages in one area. In one part of one country. Crazy amounts of languages. And they had all these beliefs. And they had all these, you know, but they were kind of almost regional. You know, let me give it to you in a way that we can all understand. You know how, like, we can tell how people are from the south? Because they have a certain way of talking. 
sometimes it's a little slower and a little more drawn out. And we, we say words that aren't words, but we all know what they mean. Like, right? And then you talk to somebody else who's maybe from the West Coast and you're like, they talk funny. Or you meet somebody from the North and they talk funny. Well, I mean, you know, those are cultural things. But yet there are also cultural religions as well. And so there's a lot of people uh, who would be included in that. And then there's another 103 million who are unknown. We don't know what they believe. We don't have any idea. Uh, Many of that is because um, we really have no way of knowing. And, you know, it's and it's so hard, I think, for us as Americans many times to even have an understanding how many people have never heard the name of Jesus, much less the gospel. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. 70% of Americans, now I know some of you people aren't numbers people, but some of you are. So just stick with me. If you're not a numbers person, it'll be all right. 70% of Americans identify as Christian. I mean, I'm not saying that they live a Christian life, but if you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I'm saved. That would be their response. 70% of our nation would say that. Now, the majority, and I believe that more and more we're becoming less and less of a Christian nation. So I do believe there are some people in our nation who have never heard uh, the name of Jesus. Now, I don't think there's very many, but I believe there are some. But 70% of our nation identifies as a Christian. There are parts of the world where less than 1% of an entire people group, we're talking about millions upon millions of people, have ever even heard the gospel for the first time. There's a book that I have, and it's called The Challenge of Missions. And, and it, this gentleman, is, um, Oswald J. Chambers, makes this statement. He says, no one should hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once. Wow. I mean, you think about that. How many times have you heard the story of Jesus? For me, it's probably thousands of times. I, I don't know. I mean, I hear it all the time. I read it. I mean, there was a video a few years ago that circled around and every now and then it kind of catches again and I see it on social media where there's a box of Bibles that get, they've, they've gotten into China and they show these people and there's all this like chaos happening and all these people are real excited and then they get these Bibles and it's like this just amazing silence happens because for the first time in their life they're holding an entire Bible because many times they had one page or maybe a few pages and then they would trade them and then they would hand write them and copy them. Now, I don't know about you, I have like 10 Bibles, not including what I have on my iPad. I just got them sitting on a shelf in my office. And yet, one page of the Bible is more valuable to them than it is many times to us. Why? Because that's all they have. That's all the, the Word of God that they've ever been exposed to. Now, we've seen a tremendous, um, you know, with the advent of uh, technology and a lot of the digital media that we have. I mean, the gospel is getting places that it's never been able to go. You know, if you're paying attention to what's happening in our world right now, like, I mean, Russia has been open to the gospel for several decades. That is rapidly closing. The state-run churches are coming back. And the state is coming down very hard on people that have been there for a long time. Russia was closed for a long time completely because of communism. Well, the gospel has been able to go in. But that window of opportunity is quickly closing. Now, it doesn't mean the gospel won't spread because, you know, you couldn't do it in China either. And yet they said somewhere between, you know, I don't remember how many people. It was 25,000 people a day was the last number I heard were getting saved in China. So just because the government says the gospel can't come here doesn't mean it won't. God will make a way. And He always does. But we have a part to play. And we have to take that responsibility seriously. And so out of the 7.3 billion people in the world, 3 billion live what we consider to be unreached people. In other words, no one, no missionary that we know of has ever even gone to their village. I remember years ago when me and Dara went to Peru, we went on the Amazon River on a boat for days. And days and days. And uh, so we went and we kept going and we got to the last village that we knew of because we got off the Amazon and went down a little tributary and then we, you know, snaked back and we were right at the equator. And uh, so we went as far as they knew of and we thought this was the last village and they said, oh no, there's one more village 30 minutes down the river or something like that. I don't remember what it was. So we had to go down the river and then you had to hike through the jungle for like an hour or two. And then all of a sudden it opens up and boom, there's this little community of like, I don't know, 30 houses. 
in the middle of, I mean, you're talking about the middle of nowhere. It was two days boat ride to get back to the nearest city. That's how far out we were. So, I mean, just kind of, I can't even compute that. I'm like, two days to get to a city on a boat. And yet here's these people in the middle of nowhere. You want to know what the big attraction was? At night, we turned on a light. I'm not kidding you. We backpack in a sound system, a battery, some lights, and people came. Why? There's no running water. There's no electricity. They hear music. They're like, what in the world's going on? It was like a scene from the movie. People just started coming out of the trees. I'm like, where are these people coming from? It's the craziest thing. The missionary didn't even know there were people out there who had been there like 20-some years. And so we asked them, we're like, is there anybody else further? And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, I hope not. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, we're the last village. So there's three billion people that have, are yet to even be reached. Now, out of that three billion, 1.6 are completely unevangelized. That means they've never heard the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know the exact percentage. I didn't do the math. But 1.6 billion out of 7.3, that's a huge number in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus or the gospel of Christ. In the last 40 years alone, over 1 billion people have died who have never heard the name of Jesus. And around 30 million people per year will perish without hearing the message of salvation. Think about this. 30 million people. America's population is 309 million. 10% of the world's population, or 10% of America's population will die never hearing the name of Jesus. Now we take it for granted. We've got Bibles stacked up. We've got Bible apps on our phones. We've got stuff on our computer. We've got programs. And we've got all kinds of stuff. We don't even think much about it. Yet, now, let me kind of put that into perspective. Because 30 million, I don't know about you, I don't know 30 million of much of anything. So, every day that comes out to be approximately 70,000 people will die today. Having never heard the name of Christ. The population of El Dorado is just under 19,000. And 70,000 Three and a half times the size of our population of this town that we live in, that we call home, will die today. Never hearing the name of Christ. Never hearing the gospel. That's staggering to me. But that is that gives us context, though, to understand really the scope and why missions matter. Why, why is missions important? Because people have not heard. And it's our responsibility as the church... Is that, hey, we've received of the gospel of Christ. I mean, I, I can only speak for me. My life has been absolutely flipped upside down, inside out, every which way. And God has radically touched my life. In an amazing way. And I would do nothing to trade it. I'm so thankful. And so what is my response to that? Is to make sure that another person gets to hear the gospel. That's why when I sow, I always say we're sowing to touch people. Because I want our motive to be in the right place. God will bless you when you give. Yes, absolutely. It's a biblical principle. It's non-negotiable for me. I don't care what you believe, what your thought. The Bible says God will. Yes, but my motivation is not for me. My motivation is to see more people touched and changed. So I'll ask the question again is why does missions matter? Because Christ died for the world and not just us. That's the simple answer. Yes, Christ died for us. But he died for the world. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. See, and we have a responsibility. Why? Because the Bible says uh, multiple ways and multiple times is that to whom much is given, much is required. We have a responsibility to sow and to help. Why? Because somebody helped bring the gospel to us. 
Somebody paid for the church that I got saved in. I didn't. Somebody else did. You know, a few years ago there was this, uh, I guess you could say it like, kind of like a movement or whatever you want to call it, but pay it forward. How many of you remember that? Somebody does something for you, so you pay it forward and you do something nice for somebody else. And, and it was, that's our responsibility with the gospel. Somebody else prayed for me. A lot of people prayed for me. And I have a responsibility now to pray that the gospel would go forth. Here's another reason why it matters. It's because somebody's eternity is hanging in the balance. Whether it's heaven or hell, somebody's eternity right now is hanging in the balance. Because they've never even been given the opportunity to receive or reject Christ. Now, I know this is sobering and I know it's like, man, this is kind of heavy. Yeah, because I want you to understand that, hey, and, and, and even the whole idea of well, what can we do? We're just a church in El Dorado. You know, I've shared this story before, but I love it because I think it helps give us context. As there was a little boy walking down the beach one day and picking up starfish and the beach was just littered with starfish. And he picks up a starfish and he flings it back out into the water. And the beach is just covered in starfish. And the man walks up to the young boy and says, what are you doing? He's like, I'm saving some, I'm, I'm going to save these starfish. And he's like, son, there are way too many starfish to help. He's like, you can't do all this. You would never get them all back in the ocean before they died. And the boy picks up another starfish and throws it in the ocean and says, no, but I can save that one. I don't have to save the world and we don't have to save the world. But what we do have to do is our part. And here's the cool thing about it is, even as North Point from El Dorado, not only do we get to touch the four corners of our uh, community, the four corners of our um, county, of our state, of this nation, we can actually touch places that we will never go. So that when we get to heaven, we actually have a crazy reward before God. And we're thinking, I didn't do all this. No, but you sent Paul Trochel to Tanzania who trained my pastor who came to a village that nobody had ever come to. See, that's, that's what the economy of heaven is so different than what we understand. I mean, this is crazy. But I'm mean, just let you in on how we do it. We support Paul Trochel every month. We send $300 to him. $300 is not a lot of money. Not much money at all. Now, he's supported by a lot of people and this and that, but that was something that we've done actually even since before me and Dare ever came here. So he gets $3,600 a year from our church is what we support him with. He trains multitudes of pastors. They, they average about somewhere between 50 and 70 pastors a year that they train in their Bible school. And then they leave the Bible school, and then they go out and they start new churches all over Tanzania and eastern Africa. Do you realize that you have a part in every person that every one of those pastors have touched? Brother Paul's been over there for nearly 15 years and they've trained over 800 ministers. I mean, think about, let's just do some basic things. What if each one of those pastors touched 10 people? That's 8,000 people that have come into the kingdom of God that you have a say in. That you have a part in. What if they each reached 100 I mean, you think about that. And then think about all the people that they go out and touch and minister the gospel to. They may not even be pastors. They're just somebody who got excited, got saved, and went and told somebody else about Jesus. And then that person that got saved under one of those pastors goes and gets ten of his friends saved. It's multiplication. And you're like, yeah, but we only gave $300. I've said it many times. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart in which we sow and the knockdown effect of what we can do and what we can be a part of is amazing. Now, my heart and my desire is that we actually want to do more. I mean, we we have several missionaries that we're connected with. We have Egan Falk who will be here next week. We don't support him monthly, but when he comes, guess what? We're going to give an offering. So I'll give a little plug. If you want to give to Brother Egan, you can mark it on your check. Why? Because we're going to bless him when he comes. We have Harry Wilson who was here in August, I believe, down in Guatemala. He's from Magnolia. 
I mean, that's where he was born, raised, family's still there. He comes and we get the opportunity to sow into his life, to sow into his ministry. He's been down there for 25 years. Giving his life in a place that I've never been. I don't know if I'll ever go, but you know what? I have seed there. And many of you have seed there. Some of you don't even realize that you've been sowing to missions already. You don't even know it. And here's why. Because we take some of the tithe money that you give, we set it aside and we give to missions out of that tithe. So some of you have already sown to missionaries and don't even know it. You're like, well, I I, I'm convinced. We'll stand before the Lord. He's like, I want to show you all the people that you help touch. That your life represented. You're going to be like, I don't even know who Harry Wilson is. I never even saw the guy. But some of your finances is what we gave to him that helped him to go and do his ministry. I believe we'll have people walk up to us in heaven and say, thank you for, for preaching the gospel to me. I don't know you. And they're going to be like, no, but you sent somebody to help. See, the, I believe one of the greatest um, lies of the enemy is to get us convinced that what we do is insignificant. Why? Because if we view it as insignificant, then what's the point? What's the purpose? But when we fully understand the scope of what God is doing and how God is doing it and our role, even though it may not be immense. Remember the widow's mites. Everybody's bringing in their, looks like they robbed a bank, bags full of money. She throws in two mites, less than a penny. And Jesus said, hey, she gave more than everybody. It wasn't necessarily about the amount. It was about the heart in which it was sowed. And so there are some things along the lines of missions that, that we have a responsibility to. And there are some things that I feel uh, stirred in, in my heart that I need to make it more of a focus for us as a church and more specifically for you in your own life. Now, let me just kind of so that we're all on the same page. We all understand what's, what I'm saying here. Is that scripturally, we're commanded to tithe. Giving to missions is over and above our tithe. It's considered an offering. Why? Because according to scripture, the tithe belongs to the, to the Lord. So you could even say it like this. Is that you don't even really give until you go above the tithe. Now, I'm not saying that's law. But I'm just telling you, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Well, what are we going to do beyond that? Because we have a responsibility. First Timothy chapter 2 says this. The Apostle Paul is in the midst of giving Timothy, his son, some instructions about prayer and praying for those in authority so that you can live a peaceable life. And then in verse 3 he says, This is good and it pleases God our Savior. So we ought to pray for people in government. Why? Because they need our prayer. And if you were there, you would need it too. I can't imagine dealing with some of them people every day. But, thank God I'm not, right? Says this is good and it pleases God who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. God's desire is that all men would come to the knowledge of Christ. Right? And so it goes on in verse 5, it says, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile uh, God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Not for those who would just accept him, for everyone. It says, This is the message that God gave to the world at just the right time. He says, And I have chosen, uh, or and I have been chosen as a preacher and an apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. He says, And I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. So Paul here makes the very clear direction is that there is one way to the Father. One mediator, one Savior, one sacrifice. I mean, you know, two point, whatever it was, 2.3 billion people in the world identify as a Christian. How many of you know people that are professing Christians but they are not godly? You don't even have to raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. So even in that 2.3, how many of them are legitimate Followers of Christ. No way to know. Couldn't tell you. But, needless to say, we've got a lot of work to do. Romans 10 uh, verse 14 and 15 says this. Well, verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But, how can they call on Him 
to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will someone go and tell them unless they are being sent? That is why the Scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. I mean, just practically speaking, what if I just didn't show up this morning? What if I just decided daylight savings time was a good morning to sleep in? Go through praise and worship. You're like, all right, well, surely somebody, pastor will show up eventually, I guess. You're listening to me speak. Why? Because I showed up. Not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody has the opportunity to walk into a, a heated and cooled air-conditioned building with lights. We take it for granted. But the gospel is free, but it costs money to take it. It doesn't cost anything. The gospel is free. Absolutely. But it costs money to support people. And it takes resources to preach the gospel. And so even here is that, I'll go back to that question I asked you many goes, why does missions matter? Because someone's eternity is hanging in the balance. And I'm thankful that somebody prayed for me and I'm thankful that somebody sowed for me. And I'm thankful that somebody made a way for me to hear the gospel. See, missions has to be a part of who we are. It's not just something that we do. You know, over the, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you some things about our core values and, and our DNA as a church and who I believe that God wants us to be. And really, the heart of missions encompasses five of the six things that I've shared you, with you directly. So how would it encompass five of the six things and not be part of who we are? So I want to share with you just briefly the five of the six core values. Some of you have seen these, some of you haven't. But the first one, which I I taught on last week, was believe big. We're not going to pray safe prayers, and we're going to believe God to use us in a great way. So we're going to believe big. The next thing is that we're going to serve others selflessly. That means I'm going to sow even when it's uncomfortable. I'm going to give at times, even uh, when it may not be the, the best for me. Number three, which is an important one. Is that we have a, let me say it this way. I, I put it here, and I think it's up there. Is that we care for the lost, the hurting, and the sick. Is that we're, we actually are concerned about it. We, we take that responsibility like it's our personal. Like we actually, we have a heart for people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. It's not their problem. They don't know Jesus. It's my problem. Because I know Jesus, and I need to introduce them to him. Number four, we live out generosity every day. I told you as a church, we would be generous. Why? Because we serve a generous God. And if we, want, and if we have any expectation for God to bless us, then it requires that we be generous as a church. As individuals, yes. But even as a church. I believe that just like I teach you week in and week out about being generous and giving, I would be a bad pastor if I told you that and then didn't model that in our church. So even in the life of the church, these are things that motivate me. I'm not going to play it safe. We're going to take some godly risk with some wisdom, but there will be risk. We're going to do things that may seemingly in our minds be like, this don't seem too smart sometimes, but we believe it's the Lord. Most of the time when the Lord gives me instructions, I think this ain't that smart. My Lord, this better be you. And then I see him work and I see the fruit from it. And I'm like, I had no idea. I I couldn't. So we want to live out generosity. The fifth one is this, is that we are kingdom builders. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Make the kingdom a priority in our life. I'm concerned that the gospel is going forth. I'm concerned that people are hearing uh, about Jesus. I'm concerned that people are actually getting a Bible for the first time in their adult life. That matters to me. I know a, a, a lady that I've had the opportunity to speak with and to spend some time with. And for decades, she's literally been walking Bibles into China. On her body. In a coat. In a bag. Just... Here's my passport and just walks right through. 
She's a grandma. I mean, I, I don't know how old she is. I don't even want to say. I have no idea, but she might be a great grandma. And she's still walking Bibles into China. Why? Because you can't get a Bible in China. How can they hear unless somebody gets them the word? Now, aren't you glad you're not the one walking Bibles into China? But somebody has to. It's not like here where we can just pack up a bunch of Bibles, put them in a box and ship them. They'd make it to customs and they'd burn them. They wouldn't let them in the nation. They would destroy them. They would find someone. They would never get in. I mean, I could tell you stories of missionaries that I know who get on the back of a motorcycle and ride overnight into all kinds of different areas of the world, get off the bike, preach the gospel to small little people in a small little room, and they're really quiet because it's illegal. And then they get back on a motorcycle, and then they ride another 12 hours out of the country because they're risking their life to take the gospel. I've never been in that situation. I can't imagine, but I'm thankful that God has called somebody and given somebody the grace to do that. God's not calling you to do that, by the way. But we do have a responsibility to help others. So here's what I want to... to, I've said all of this for this reason. It's because we have an opportunity to do something about it. We have an opportunity to to do our part. And a couple weeks ago, I'll share with you kind of our mission's goal for this year. And uh, I know this is kind of different, but one of the things... um, and it's just an, uh, something that we're doing differently structurally as far as financially for the church is that we've always just given to missionaries out of the church budget. We don't we didn't have like a budget line thing that says, hey, we have this money set aside for missions. Um, we had our tithe account, but I felt um, stirred by the Lord that we needed to actually set up a separate account for missions. So there's several reasons for this. Uh, and I'm going to kind of communicate this to you. And um, But number one is we want to not just have the money for our commitments. I mean, quite frankly, the way I look at this, just so that you know, is if, I, if we make a commitment as a church, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, this will always be true. We will pay our missionaries before I get paid. Because I made a commitment. Always. I take it very seriously. Because I've been where they are. And I've seen how they live. And I see the sacrifices that they make. So it will always be that first. Always. If I make the commitment, it's the right thing to do. And it's going to be on time, and it's not going to be late. I don't care what we got to do. Why? Because I realize how blessed we are. And if I make a commitment, that's what we're going to do. So, um, but, so we make those commitments. But part of it is I want to have money set aside so that we have enough money to cover our commitments for the year. Then on top of that, what I want is to have some, not, we're not going to have like a million dollars or hundred thousand dollars, but I want some money that's set aside so that when somebody calls and says, Hey, we need some help. Our sound system broke down and we have a crusade next week. I say the money's being wired today. Where do I send it? I don't have to wait till Sunday to say, Hey, we need to take up a special missions offering or whatever the case may be. I shared this a couple weeks ago, but we helped a church who was planning a church and they were moving into a facility, we sent them money to help them get into that facility. We had the money. I didn't have to wait and like call and ask and do all. Now, obviously, we have financial oversight, so I'm not just writing big fat checks to people without accountability. That's what we have a board for. We have financial accountability, yes. But I want to have money that's actually already designated for missions. Just so you know, it's illegal for me to do anything with the money other than what you designate, by the way. If you say it goes to missions, it has to legally or I can go to jail. Why? Because I'm the one responsible. So if you designate it, that's where it has to go. I mean, that's just the way, and I think that's right. So you're like, well, how do I know it's going to missions? Because you said it was going to missions. That's how you know. (laughs) Because I ain't going to jail. Right? No, sir. Not for that. Me and Joe were joking before service about, you know, I might go to jail for preaching the gospel. I go to jail for that. Not for touching somebody's money that we've designated somewhere else. 
And so, you know, there's some things, uh, you know, even along that line, but we want to do more. I mean, right now we monthly support one missionary, one. I want to do more. I have it in my heart to do more. I want to, I mean, I would love to be able to, to say, well, hey, these are all the missionaries that we've touched and, and helped this year. And this is how many lives that they've, they've touched. I mean, like Egan Falk, I, and you know, this is so crazy, but, uh, and he's asked me to come to Africa and I, we'll see uh, if it, if we, if I do it or not, but uh, he does crusades, like mass crusades. Like a small crusade for him is like 10,000 people. That's a small one. Like they can do that in their sleep. A big crusade is like 100,000 plus. And so you're like, well, that's 100,000 people, not including the Bible school and all those pastors I was talking about earlier. And then, you know, Harry Wilson's been down there and Brother Paul's training up people. And, and man, there's, there are missionaries who need help. There's two ways you help a missionary. There's really only two ways. You pray for them. Number one, that's the most important. Number two is you resource them. Those are the two main areas. Now, I believe that as a church, we're actually going to have some opportunities that some of you that have the desire will be able to go on some trips. Me and Dare have been all over the place. I've been to all kinds of countries. My life is vastly different because of it. I believe everybody should go on a mission trip one time. Even if you come back and say, I'm not called to the mission. Great. You will have sympathy for the people that are there. And you will be like, God, I'm going to sow because I'm so thankful you didn't call me there. I'm going to send them some Dr. Pepper. But we're, I believe that you'll have the opportunity for some of you that, are, that would desire to go. Why? Because it's part of who we are. It's not just something that we do. It's part of who we are. And so uh, I haven't said this, I don't think, but my goal for this year is this, and it's to raise $5,000. You're like, well, what's $5,000? We actually gave about, I don't remember the exact number, I think it was seventy, no, dollars $6,800 last year to missions total. But this is $5,000 that I won't set aside ahead of time that we already have sitting in the account designated for missions. Why? So that we have the ability to sow it. That we can act quickly because many times missionaries need it now. They don't need it in two weeks, a month. Why? They've got a need and it's dire. Many times those types of things happen. And, and so that's our goal is to, to raise $5,000 this year. And, and so with this, what I, uh, where's those cards at? Do we have them? Let me have one, please, sir. What I've got, I've got a little card for you. Joey's so generous, he gave me two. This right here says reach global. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to take this and pray about it. Some of you may not even have to pray about it. You may already say, well, I know exactly what the Lord would have me to do. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to give to missions this year. Now, you can do it all at once. You can spread it out and do once a month. You can do it every time you get it. I don't care what you do. But I want, but I want you to pray about it and, and ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because here's what I believe. I believe we'll far exceed that $5,000. But we had to start somewhere. So I talked over with the board and we said, hey, that seems a good place to start. It's the first year we're doing it. So next year we may say, hey, we're going to double it or who knows. We may far exceed it. Great. What a problem to have. We need another missionary. I'm sure we can find one. I'm sure we can find one. It won't be a problem. But I want to, I, I really do, I, I want you to pray. And ask the Lord. Why? Because missions and global missions and and sending the gospel forth is God's heart. It's the great commission. Now here's the thing, even uh, biblically speaking. You're like, yeah, but I thought you'd been talking a lot about the church and God doing great things here. I am. I still am. This, This is all part of that. Why? Because there's principles throughout Scripture. God is not mocked that you cannot sow, that you will not reap. I mean, you know, God pays attention to what we do. And if we'll live out generosity, not just in one area or two, if we make the determination that we're going to live a generous life, then we're going to see blessings like we've never seen. We're going to see God increase 
Even what we do here. Why? Because we took what was somebody else's and, and made it like it was our own. You know, one of my favorite verses, and I, I, I quote this verse many times, comes out of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, There are those who generously scatter abroad, and yet they increase more. It says, There are those who withhold more than is fitting and is what, what is justly due, but it results in want or in lack. It says, The liberal uh, person shall be enriched, and he who waters will himself be watered too. Now, the more updated version of the Amplified says in verse 25, it says, The generous man is a source of blessing and shall be prosperous and enriched. It says, He who waters will himself be watered, reaping the generosity that he's sown. Now, I understand that, that verbiage there may be a little confusing where it says, He who waters will himself be watered. I'll save you some study. Here's what it actually should have, how it should have been written. He who ministers will himself be ministered to. You may never stand behind a pulpit and preach the gospel. That's fine. But can you help somebody stand in a pulpit and preach the gospel? Can we help Egan and Harry and Paul and these different men and women of God who have laid their life down and have moved to another place to give their life? Can we help them have a microphone to preach out of? Can we help them to have a vehicle? I mean, how cool would it be if I got to stand up one day and say, Hey, we bought a car this week for a missionary. That's a big deal. Cars are hard to come by many times, especially reliable cars for mission. But how cool would that be? Yeah. Two years from now, I say, Hey, we got to buy four cars for missionaries this year, and we got to do this, and we got to... How cool would that be? Knowing that everywhere that car goes, and everywhere that that takes those missionaries, and everywhere that the gospel goes, because they had that that sound system or that vehicle or whatever the case may be, is that man we got to be a part of that. And here's my responsibility to you: every time we do something, I'm going to let you know. We're not just going to do stuff, and you'll never know about it. I'm going to tell you. Hopefully, we'll have pictures and get to show you stuff. I remember when we went to the Philippines. There was this little girl named Bernie Lynn. She was 16 years old and she had planted three churches. 16. Little bitty girl. And I remember uh, between me and a friend of mine, we had our youth groups and we took them over there. We bought her, her a motorcycle. Well, it was a moped. Went to a motorcycle shop. We let her pick it out. And we had... Because we had gone previously and scouted out the trip and we had heard about this young girl and didn't actually meet her. And But me and my buddy both had it in our heart. Man, we want to buy her a, a, a motorcycle so she can get around. Because she's a 16-year-old girl hitching rides and planting churches. And it's just crazy. 16 years old. A little church planter. little bitty Filipino girl. We got to take her to the motorcycle shop. And we're just looking around. We started asking her. And, of course, our whole team's there, which was like, I don't know, a lot of us. 60 of us, 80 of us. All crowded around this little motorcycle shop because all the everybody knew it was about to happen. And she really liked this one. And the guy in the shop said, oh, here's your keys. She's like, what? She had no, I mean, just. For us, that would be like somebody giving us a new house. I mean, it was, I don't remember what it was. $1,300, $1,600, something like that. Not even a lot of money to us. That changed that girl's life. She's probably still driving that motorcycle years later. Just a little, little, little way to get around. So we can't do everything. We can do some things. And the some things we can do, we ought to do. And I believe even as the Lord blesses us, even as we would take it seriously and, and, and own it, that as we minister to other people, God will provide for us. I mean, I shared with you is that, look, we need some room Share with you out of Isaiah, you're busting at the seams. Yes, we are. You're like, well, it seems like we've got seats in here. Go back here in the kids' areas. Go back here and volunteer in the kids' area, even better. And you'll, you will get real quick and fast on praying, like, Lord, we need some space. If we, because God's economics are not like ours. If you've got a need, then you need to sow something. That's the way God works. Now, you sow in proportion to what you have. You don't sow what you can't. This isn't guilt. I'm not trying to, like, 
No, I'm asking you to pray and just ask the Lord. This is over and above your tithe. But I also know that what? That as we do this, that exactly what it says here, that as you give, you will reap. Luke 6.38, we know this verse well. It says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, running over, shall men give unto you. Like, I ain't never had nobody give me no money. Well, that's fine. But how many of you know that God can bless you in many ways? May I share with you a while back? I had to buy a set of tires for Dara's car. How many of you remember that story? I wasn't planning on it. wasn't prepared to. She ran over a nail. Praise the Lord. Ruined the tire. Big old nail. I'm like, I ain't got, I forgot what it was, eight or nine hundred dollars for a set of tires. I'm like, I ain't got eight or nine hundred bucks. Not today. Wasn't planning on it. Because it was close enough that it was like, well, we probably ought to replace them all. Started making some phone calls. I got a set of tires for three hundred and twenty dollars. They were seventy five percent off. And the guy, the one guy that knew that they even had them answered the phone when I called. They're like, oh, you're lucky. No, I'm blessed. Give and it shall be given. That day I was happy it was in a set of tires. I didn't need somebody to walk up to me and hand me cash. I was, whew. God can bless you in your business. God can bless you in many ways. God can bless you in the place you work. God can give you favor. God may give you a new job. God may open up an, an opportunity for you to do something new. And you're like, oh my gosh, I had not. Why? Because you begin to sow. And, and so what I, you know, we'll hand you these as you leave today. You, if you want to, you can fill one out. You don't have to. But this is my, my hope. Is that you would pray about it. Yeah. Look, if I wanted to put pressure on you, be like, look, we're going to hand these out. And I need them turned in before you leave today. <laughs> the Bible says, let each one give as he's purposed in his heart. As he's made up his own mind. This is a no pressure deal. Because look, as far as I'm concerned, I'm committed to it. We're going to do what we're going to do as the church. And and we're going to do more. I don't know what that more is yet. But we will do more. Why? Because it's the heartbeat of God. Because it matters to Him and it should matter to us. And and so that's some of what this is about. It's simply making sure that the gospel goes to another person. And to another person. And to another person. Why? Because there's well over a billion people that have yet to hear. And I may never go, but we can send. You may never step foot into some nation, but yet we can send a missionary there. Somebody who can go. Because it even says, how can one go unless they're sent? We can help send. We can. It's totally within our ability. And I believe that we're going to see the... We'll reap the blessing and the benefit even as a church that it doesn't just stop because we sowed no that's just the beginning that's the beginning of of how God blesses and how God works and it's when we have a heart for the kingdom of God to say God I'm going to make first your kingdom and your priority the gospel of Jesus because everybody deserves the opportunity to hear the gospel why because that's a person that Jesus died for and he died that all men would come to the knowledge of him. And we get to be a part of seeing that come to pass. Amen.